This is one thing that I was going to wait a while before we talked about. Maybe we'll talk about it now so you can think about it because you all, we all have to make some kind of plans for ourselves. It's a free concert from now on. Welcome back to Wax Wednesdays. Why join the Navy when you can be a pirate? And this week we are giving a good old hash and a chat about a bit of a rabbit hole Gideon and I have been down, but also coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, uh, for the 50th anniversary of the 1969 Woodstock Festival. Happy 50th birthday, Louis. <laughs> <laughs> Happy 50th birthday, Gideon, to a thing we never attended, but definitely wish we did. Yeah, August 1969. Let's go back in time. What happened? Tell, tell me about it. Woodstock happened. Woodstock happened. I mean, that's just like the very brief overview. But I mean, if you after after venturing down this, it's actually so funny to sort of see the current social political climate of that time and what happened at, at Woodstock and what it meant for a lot of a lot of young people. Um, you know, it's not a it's not a far line to draw to what our young people are experiencing now. But either way, from the dreams of uh, two young investors, a guy came into a lot of money and thought. There's no better way to spend this money than to throw a big festival with Fuck as many yeah. big bands as I can get. <laughs> <laughs> I do the exact same, but it's a bit different. I don't know. Let's talk about that because I think it's what framed Woodstock was so fascinating. Like 500,000 people came together. Yeah. No let's, violence. No one was hurt. Completely peaceful. But yeah, I agree. Let's rewind. Let's talk about what led up to Woodstock 1969. And like also- 1960s in America. I guess for the, anyone who's lived under a musical rock for their entire lives up until now- well, uh, we should probably let you know what Woodstock actually is. We'll get there. Let's, let's, let's start with the 1960s. So the 1960s was a very turbulent time in America. So let's start with... Well, it was the start of peace, love and unity, man. You no, know, but it was also the start of a lot of violence. Like that was when... Um, uh, correct. MLK was assassinated. That was when... JFK as well, not that long ago. Yeah, Kennedy was assassinated. Essentially, if you decided to speak out against uh, oppression, you were shot. Yeah, so all these people grew up with, if you wanted to speak out and you wanted to tell your mind, you got shot. That's what they were living and breathing every day. And then the Vietnam War came along. And then on that, all the news they're consuming is when you turn 18, you had to go to the army and go yeah, to Vietnam. Where there was something like, how was many people war, were dying? Like 20,000 people a it month? Was, it was, yeah, it was something like, you know, 400 Americans are dying a week. Um, well, that's a different number than what I had. Well, <laughs> yeah. A we, yeah, a week, but then matched by like another 400 um, South Koreans and then, you know, over over fifteen hundred South Vietnam, yeah. Vietnamese. Yeah, sorry, yeah, South Vietnamese. Vietnamese. And then um, South Koreans, a different war. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, I just minced that. Didn't that's I? still going? Don't worry about that one. Yeah, we'll, exactly. we'll get into that another time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then of the uh, Viet Cong, yeah, over fifteen hundred there um, people a week as well. So the only way you could really speak out is through music. So people wrote songs in protest, and that's when that whole generation of that hippie lifestyle kind of came to the forefront of the only way you could actually be heard. But there were so many movements at that time as well, like. Uh, is it the 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 black Black Panthers? They were the nearly militarized um, faction fighting for black rights in in what I think where were they based? I'm not going to get this one. The only Black Panther I really can really talk confidently about is the one it's in Marvel. <laughs> well, no, I, I know a lot about them, and I know a lot mostly because through their art. But they're um, yeah, they stand. They gave a really go at a not a real go. They stood up for a lot of values and core beliefs that um, about gender, uh, race equality. Yeah, so just as far as a decade goes, it was, um, yeah, it was quite a tumultuous decade, I think, for the Western world particularly. Yeah, this was the 1960s. So then and a lot of young people, you know, from our age, early, like late, late 20s down to, you know, fresh 18 were, were getting thrown in this conscription in a, in a war they didn't particularly believe in or know why they were fighting. And, or no one wanted to die for. No, exactly. You know, their choices were sort of taken away from them with their lifestyles. It was like, well, this is my journey now. What, I'm going to go 
uh, go to Vietnam and that's me. Yeah, so like you said, the two guys, there's one, no, there's the one guy who got a bit of inheritance and then he started a music uh, studio. Well, I know you're both lucky label. enough not to be conscripted either. Yeah, that's true too. Um, I think they're they older, I guess, and who knows what how they got out of it. But basically they met these two guys who owned a label in Woodstock. And they're, yeah, they're, they were... They were there were two sort of two different sides of the coin, weren't they? These two guys with a bit of money were trying to be businessmen, dress like businessmen, look not like businessmen, talk like businessmen. That photo was like the two biggest hippies, and one's not even wearing a shirt, and the other two guys in like white shirts and ties and suit jackets, looking all oh. formal. Yeah, it was a uh, Michael Lang and Artie Kornfeld, and uh, they met with John Roberts and Joe Rosenman. There we go. That was and that, and it's funny because the people in Woodstock were like, yeah, let's uh, let's just do let's combine. We'll do a bunch of activities and we'll release music and let's have an outdoor f- concert. Yeah, like some of them had had. I think one of them, uh, I think John, there was had a bit of experience. He had like some small experience. He'd thrown one <laughs> festival. In, it was like, a disaster in Detroit, and it was just a shit show. Um, but there was a few movements at the time, and like with this hippie movement, this hippie culture, they're like, yeah, we can get some art happening, some beads, celebrate like art, culture, and lifestyle, have a beautiful place out in like, you know, in nature where we can all come and meet. And it was a congregation of, of like minded people with similar beliefs and, you know, current societal outcomes. You're right, yeah. Young people. So in order to launch this new label they wanted to make, they wanted to have a festival. So Well, they want to have a like launch party. Exactly. Like And they're gonna do it in the town of Woodstock, Woodstock. where Bob Dylan at the time was living. They're like, all right, cool, we can get Bob Dylan, he'll headline, whatever. Yeah. No biggie. Just the guy from just your na- local neighborhood yeah. artist. <laughs> just your local neighborhood musician. Um, and then obviously they couldn't get a place in Woodstock, so they went to uh, that other other place. What was it called? Uh, Wildwick? Yeah, something like that. Um, um, somewhere which, they, which they all got the go-ahead for. Marketed as an Aquarian exposition, so filled with lifestyle music uh, that you'd bring your kids to, but that wasn't... Uh, to be <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the first place they started setting it up and be like, so they got to they're building, they were building the stage and everything they needed. But then the people of this town, oh, absolute wankers, um, you know, saw saw people saw these speaking young people out in like in with flares and long hair building this stuff. And it was a massive conservative neighborhood. All of a sudden, it started getting like hectic amount of press coverage, and a lot of people speaking out against Woodstock. Even like the like the the mayor of. New York. Yeah, everyone was speaking out about it. And well, like, no, it goes into this. that divide of like the young and the old generation that the hippies and the youth of today are fighting wars that yesteryears create that they don't want to be a part of. Yeah, celebrating life and essentially having like, you know, like smoking weed and having consensual sex with whoever the fuck they felt like, <laughs> um, which is not allowed. Sounds like a good time to me. Yeah, exactly. You know. But yeah, luckily, then they went upstate to Bethel, New York, and uh, they met a guy called Max Yuzgo. Yeah, Yuzgo of uh, Yuzgo Derrico, who was uh, very much open to the whole idea of like freedom of speech. Um, essentially, the, he was like, yeah, I believe in You know what, what I'm fascinated about? Like Max's idea of a party, like that's not the first time he's had an idea to have a party on his farm. Like he's got the perfect amphitheater, the perfect space. Yeah, he knew what he, he had. He just needed an idea of someone to do it. He's like, yeah, fuck it, I'm in. Yeah, he was like, 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 yeah, I'll give you guys a go. And they were like, when the four of them saw it. He created the third biggest city in New York for three days. Yeah, it's fucked up. (laughs) That's fucked up. I saw it in his farm. This field was like the most perfect natural amphitheater. And uh, anyway, the lineup was announced. Ticket sales went out. You could buy one, two, or three-day tickets. Three-day tickets would have cost you 18 US dollars at the time. Yeah, fuck. It's probably worth more now. Oh, exactly. (laughs) But And then... um, and then the momentum built. They sold 25,000 tickets and they sold 50,000 tickets. Yeah, they tickets. thought that they like 100,000 people would be like in their wildest yeah. dreams. They were like thinking like 30,000, 40,000. They were like, we're going to get 20,000, 40,000 people for this and it's going to be like nothing. 
Um, that's still a big thing. And then after 50,000 tickets were sold, they were sort of just like, we don't know how many tickets. 40,000 people is like double the amount of Rainbow Serpent. Yeah, That's exactly. one of the biggest festivals. Yeah. And like in the outback, that's well, like a camping just, festival. They just lost, like it just went off the rails. They just lost total control. People were just like hearing about it and just like, yeah, this sounds fun. Let's just go. And I wasn't even like, let's, you know, we, when we go to festivals these days, we like pack food and eskies and tents and all this sort of oh, shit. Oh, they were hitchhiking and rides like, on the side. And you like set up your whole kit for a festival. These people were just like, all right, I'm just going to grab. Well, some. there's two things from it though. Like they started setting up and so. People were days, arriving at the site yeah. a week before. Well, the thing is four days before the festival was, they were still building it. And they said. Oh, rewind. They got to a, they got uh, to a yeah. point where they were like. We are not going to fucking finish building this festival. It's like festivals in August. That's four weeks away. We're not scheduled to finish the infrastructure for this until November. I know. <laughs> and they had to. They had to make the choice. They're like, all right, we don't have enough materials. And well, then that, people that, started that rocking up. All the food people pulled out, so they just had like one food organization. And the hog farm running security. Yeah. Oh, we'll get to the security because they are a fucking hilarious. yeah. We'll, we'll get that after the break. But um, all of, they had to make a choice, and it was like, all right, we're either going to build a stage or we're going to build a fence and gate so we can collect tickets for this thing. So it's either like. We don't build a stage and we have 100,000 young people just like wandering around getting fucking baked and we all get arrested and go to jail or we build a stage, throw a festival and go bankrupt. And they're like, well, we've got one choice. Fucking A. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so let's introduce the first song. So Woodstock's happening. Everyone's rocked up and they now. Well, Woodstock's not happy and I think no, no, no. it's only appropriate to it took start a while. with this act. Yeah, well, it took a while. So at the start, like... It was, they, they announced no was, artists. No, they announced it was going to be a free festival. And then it became an absolute shit show. And they're like, all right, let's 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 just fucking start this thing. And then the one artist who was there was fucking Richie Havens. Richie Havens. And it was just him. He didn't have his bass player or his drummer. So no, just, the traffic was crazy. Was so they couldn't bad. get anyone. They didn't... So they just put him on stage with an acoustic guitar and a microphone. And he played for seven hours. I want to say something like that. Something yeah, absurd. something ridiculous is ours, and that was. F- and the only like he just played until the Woodstock guys started being like, "All right, we finally got a helicopter up and going. We're just going to start helicoptering our acts." Yeah, because no one could get in. Like he, he, it was just him on stage with an acoustic guitar. And then the rest of his band rocked up like in the last two hours. I actually want to look up how long he played for. I feel seven hours is absurd. Oh, I think he would play for just a long time, and they were just. They just said to him, he's like, I don't want to be the first. I don't want to get up there and have like beer cans thrown at me and stuff. Well, he didn't want to stop. Who you, who would stop in front of a crowd like that? Well, exactly. Like, but the crowd is massive and it was so intimidating and he was sort of like, oh, I don't want to play. But this is what the beauty of Woodstock was. The moment he started playing music, the crowd just like, you know, exuded nothing but love and, and enjoyment for what he was doing and it nearly spurred him on to play. Okay. He started playing at 5 p.m. He played for like three, four hours, and then he was all out of songs. So he started making songs up, and I guess that's how this first song was But it's also made. one of his biggest songs. I know, it's incredible. And it's like, it was. I think it was that point in time when everyone at the festival was like, okay. Yeah. And now I get what the festival is really about, and we're going to really fucking indulge in everything we can. Yeah, this is when it became something special, and it was cool. And at the time, this sort of one word and this one song was the, you know, the voice of freedom. The young people. It was Richie Avens, Freedom. All right, play it. Turn the guitar off, Mike, please. Guitar, Mike. Freedom, 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 
Friends of the Draft Resistance Revolution in America. <laughs> Good evening. I hope it stops raining. One thing about the draft resistance that's different from other movements and revolutions in this country and that we have no enemies. And the, it's one of the beautiful things about it. And to show that our hearts are in the right place, we'd sing a song for the governor of California, Ronald Reagan. Zap. He's a drugstore truck driving man And he's ahead of the Ku Klux Klan When summer comes rolling around We'll be lucky to get out of town He's been like a father to me He's like the only DJ you can hear after three And I'm an all-night singer in a country band Drugstore truck driving man He's ahead of the Ku Klux Klan When summer comes rolling around We'll be lucky 
Woodstock. But as, as was sort of like known at the festival, it was the folk day. Yeah, it was the, well, obviously you can hear the music that was playing as all um, acoustic guitars and singers and all love, sex and good tough times. Yeah. And as you heard, there was Joan Bays and um, she closed out day one of Woodstock uh, with that, you know, her funeral, like beautiful folk singer. And she just sang to this sea of like matches and candles and cigarette lighters of just like the whole crowd is just like there's pictures of Woodstock just like darker singing out to this sea of That would have been so magical to be there. Like. Oh, it was just magic. And then she like stopped and everyone sort of just like went to bed and either just well, stopped who knows what happened. And like, <laughs> you know, cuddled up, cuddled up with their neighbour, made some babies. There was a lake. Like it was funny, like the organisers said like after that, they in the morning when at first like they started walking around the campsite to see what was going on and they're just uncovering all this mess. All, not mess, all this like beautiful yeah, like in the nice. forest, they'd like a, like a market village had been set up selling like beads and like trinkets and musical instruments and copious amounts of weed. Yeah, <laughs> I love there was a food truck. They were talking about like they ran out of food before they ran out of uh, anything else. Like yeah. there was copious amounts of weed and acid to last for centuries. Yeah. But no food. <laughs> and the uh, this group that they organized for security. Which is, yeah, let's talk look, about we'd actually We'd actually urge you all to watch uh, any of the Woodstock documentaries as you can. Um, but this they said they didn't want like police and everyone was sort of like urging them to get police and like proper military force. But they ended up getting these guys called Hog Farm. Yeah which were just hippies and sort of run like these festivals before and knew how to police people. and They weren't policing people. They were pleasing people. Well, that's uh, what they said. They changed their names to the police force. Yeah, exactly. But they were just like a little commune who just had good values and good morals and treated people yeah. with dignity. And the one thing was that what I really liked from a festival, and I think it's really cute um, and everyone should really adopt it. Not cute as in it's just a safety thing. But what they did was anyone fucked up on drugs, they're like, come on, come with us. They gave them, they cuddled them over, brought them to a hot place. Yeah. Got like them help, out of it. Helped them through it. And then at the end, we're like, oh, now everything uh, that we just taught you, there's other people like you. So yeah. pay it all forward. These people, all these people coming Constantly in. Constantly pay it forward. So that idea of like help be others as you were once helped really like spoke and to what they were about. And it through the whole festival. Like everyone, uh, everyone was just, was in a good place with one another and 
Well, if that's your main security team, treating yeah. people like that, it's yeah, just, it's, it goes through the whole festival. It really does. Yeah. That, that vibe and energy they brought. There's, there's footage of them on like loud, like, you know, megaphones and they weren't, they weren't being like, you do this, you do that. They were, they swapped all those phrases for, hey, could you please do this for me? Or like, would it be okay if I asked you to do this and you walk this way? Uh, and in a time where kid, no one treated them like this, everyone was abusing them and telling them what they have to do, where they have yeah, to go. Yeah, all the kids where, were being told what to do and they're like, all the kids at Woodstock were essentially there because it would just like piss off their old man. This was the counter culture they talk about, the, the, the rising of a new generation. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's uh, probably only like two, three hundred thousand people at this point at Woodstock. Only, exactly. I say only because first day. Well, yeah, the first day was the quiet day. And day, <laughs> yeah. day two was rock and roll. Let's, uh, let's talk about day two now. And an extra 100,000 people showed up to Woodstock for this day. And this was the day it all came. This was the day that Who played Jefferson Airplane, Sly and Santana. the Stone, Santana. Fuck, what a lineup. Credence Clearwater. Just to name a few. Yeah. It's like apparently Sly and the Stanley Stone was like one of the biggest acts of the festival as well. Oh, the things you do to be there, right? That lineup is actually Janis like, Joplin was playing. Like when you look at that, you look at the breakdown of that like lineup. Cosby Steals and Nash, Johnny, Johnny Winter, Can He, yeah, Dead Letter. We can we can just we can just geek out, but like let's talk about more about what they did than who they are. Oh, it's so hard to just like break it down to one. Like, we're, obviously, we're not going to play. Well, we can't play all the acts because quite a few of the acts haven't actually been released live. Whereas the whole, I'm pretty sure the whole festival was recorded live. Well, they had. Well, look. Okay, let's uh, break it down. So the second day happened and basically now we're talking about three four hundred thousand people at woodstock so it's getting close to a fucking shit show of a shit show yeah it's the place is now a city it's now it's become like the third largest city in new york they i think they ran out of food towards the end of the second day but let's start at the beginning of the day so what happened was they realized the way to communicate with everyone was through their sound system so they had all these messages going on the sound system like Joe, yeah, your mum yeah, is concerned acts. about you. You should call yeah. them. And it was like so and so. Someone, please come to side stage because your wife is currently giving birth. Oh, that's a good one. I, I was thinking that one too. Yeah. So there was so much. That, that's what I really liked. So in between the band setting up, someone was talking to the crowd the entire time, like not like amusing them, just like telling all these stories of other people that I found really interesting. Like yeah, trying to read out as many notes and letters and messages as possible. Yeah, it was so cute, so adorable. Because it was talking about so many fucking people, like... And the information centre became another place where it was like all these notes hammered up and pinned up of like, you know, trying friends, trying to meet each other at certain places. Yeah, well, there's 500,000 people. How, like, are you going to find someone? Um, so let's talk about the full second day. So then all the rock happened and then they ran out of food at the festival because like Louis said at the beginning, all the caterers kind of couldn't make it and they had this one shabby... Well, hit. it was a traffic jam. The caterers was just like, no, yeah. fuck this week. So they couldn't get food. And so what happened was, unlike the other towns, the town of um, Bethel, Bethel, New York, opened their doors up and giving kids on the street food and anything and water. Yeah, and whatever they had in their pantries, they were giving to them. Also the farm, Max Yazgood. Eggs for days. Yeah. <laughs> Milk and yogurt and cream. Yeah, everyone had, everyone was fed. Also, that's the other thing no one talks about. Like the, everything. Yeah, like, the food guys, like they say, there was like the line for the food thing, like, uh, you know, sort of around midday on the second day or like the first day when everyone just got like the munchies. It was just like people deep and there was just people everywhere. And the food guys were just handing over like cheeseburgers and just having like joints thrown at them. And the guy's like, he had one behind so each man, ear. So, man, don't have any money, pocket, but here's a One joint. in his mouth. Yeah, they were just, you know, they were just getting showered and joints. <laughs> he was saying there was not one point where he didn't have two joints in his hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, one behind his ear and one in his mouth. 
but yeah, so all the food was free and everything was catered for the, for these kids just to enjoy it. And it's like people going so out of their way just to make sure people are having a good time. And I think that's what's really important, but also what helped the culture of just looking after each other, which they're not used to. They're not used to be people around them looking after them. They're used to people telling them off and getting in trouble and being abused at rallies and kind of being able to protest without um, – shooting around like that's what it was what that's what it was like back then yeah well i mean it's not a too far a line to draw to you know um you know the young people of today really trying to speak out against things that we believe in oh for sure but i'd like to think we've come a long way since 1969 <laughs> ah yes and no i'm sure you know for sure there's definitely still problems around today but let's let's say in this uh let's say day two of 1969 we're yeah. stuck um let's talk about santana's performance because no one had heard no one had heard of Santana, who would then go on to become quite a quite a massive name in like the what as a guitarist. Well, no one had heard someone play guitar like he played on. No, Woodstock. and no one had heard any of these songs. And um, until Hendrix came, but we'll yeah. get we'll get to that. <laughs> but yeah, but Santana is such a different different act, you know. Like the, from the Mexican slums, this little like Spanish guy, it just came out with his guitar. The whole band just sort of like enraptured the audience and just. There's a, there's a quote on the documentary that I watched the other uh, not that long ago um, and uh, this one festival goer said, the only time I was ever bored at that festival was just like waiting in between sounds for Santana to start. And he's like, but the moment they start, <laughs> myself and everyone else in the crowd got taken to a new dimension. <laughs> and <laughs> Santana just got on and they just start ripping Soul Sacrifice. That first album that Santana released, it's one with like this uh, – black and white line on the front just titled Santana. It's got like evil um, evil ways on it, soul sacrifice. Yeah. That had sort of – that came out after Woodstock and Woodstock made – you know, there's probably 400,000 people that bought that album because of Woodstock. Okay, so what was happening before Santana played? I think we need to talk about that. So as before he played, it started looking like it's going to thunderstorm. It's going to be one of the biggest things ever. Like there's no internet back then. You don't know what the weather's going to be. Like it's just the weather outside is weather. Like, And these clouds come looking like it's the biggest thunderstorm. Everyone is like getting kind of scared. Everyone's taking this, watching the speakers, wrapping the speakers up, all the electronics. And in this hysterity, everyone's like going a bit crazy. This one guy gets on the mic and was like, guys, let's do a rain chant. Yeah. Just get this rain going away. So just a guy in a microphone just in front of like three like no 400,000 people at this point. But you're like, no rain, no, no rain. rain. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually it subsided and Santana comes on. And they're just tripping balls on acid. Some like their manager, like some seedy old guy gave them all acid for the first time. And Santana, quote, was just trying to like tame his guitar that was a writhing snake in his arms. <laughs> Such great lines. I think... We should just, and well, luckily enough, if you don't know, we're, we're playing off the live recording from Woodstock itself. So these are all the sounds you hear from the actual event itself. So I think let's get straight into uh, Santana fucking taming that snake. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
What a fucking party. <laughs> Sly and the Family Stone. What were we saying? That was the best one of the festival. Ah, uh, that was uh, yeah that 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 act Sly and the Family Stone got a massive reception when they played. Like I don't think they were deep hours of the night, maybe around midnight or something. But yeah, they just went crazy. Yeah, I think they were cra- like two AM. Yeah, the crowd went crazy for Sly and the Family Stone. They just like came on, just like bought this massive like funk rock show. Yeah. So now let's talk about day three of Woodstock because. Some shit went down. This is when there's no food, there's no medical supplies. It's five hundred thousand people. A disaster. It's an emergency state of. <laughs> it's an emer- declared an emergency. State of emergency. St- yeah, that's. Yeah, it's declared a, st- a state of emergency, and this is where the army starts flying in. Yeah, they get in contact, and the army choppers fly in like emergency doctors and medical supplies, and like everyone was a bit like, "Whoa, what the fuck!" Like, because um, Reagan was threatening to send in the National Guard like every single hour of the festival. Was like, "I'm going to send in the National Guard and kick all these kids out." But it's like there's four hundred thousand people. You can't just kick them yeah, out. It's going to be an like absolute riot. It's like a small country. Yeah, there's, you got you got to talk to the the president. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's no that the thing is whilst Woodstock was going on, everyone was talking about around the country how these kids are rebelling and taking drugs and being violent and but really no one knew what was actually going on there's no internet there's no instagram no one knew what was happening on the ground there yeah, it was only after that it came out that this was like one of the best times ever and they should be celebrating and everyone who went there should be like they should really um get the show the world what they're really about um so day three what else happened besides like four births and the army flying yeah. in <laughs> well the owner of the uh the owner of the land who, um, yeah, who he said yes to this festival, he got up and he, he asked if he could have a moment with the crowd. Yeah, it's funny how it took him three days to do that. I was thinking that as well. Like if this was my party, I would be front and – like if, that, if Woodstock was my party, right, it's basically his. Yeah, but also like, he didn't want to intervene either, like, you know, and it wasn't really his party. It's on his land, but like, you know, like he's, he's the one who's sleeping in a bed. <laughs> like yeah. when you're sleeping in a bed at a party, you know that's your house. Like, yeah, exactly. Anyways, no, he, maybe um, everyone was like packed in at the barn at his place. No, I think he wanted to see what happened. Would the, happen. He had the who on the couch. <laughs> yeah, I think he wanted to let this go ahead, and he wanted to see what it could be. Yeah, like it's nice. It's like also when you host a party, not host a party, but like when you're at a party, it's nice to just sit back and just let it naturally happen. And then when it comes time at the end to be like, yeah, this is fucking special. Yeah. Which is what he does. He gets on the mic and we'll play it for you. We have the live recording of his speech of what he says to the crowd the first time um, he speaks to people. Probably the first time people even know that it's on his land. Yeah, exactly. None of these people would have like been like, yeah, Max, yucks, yes, good. We're on your, you know, dairy farm rocking out here. They're just like, yeah, we're just sort of. Yeah, man. There's a massive stage. Awesome, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much, man. Yeah, and so the start of day three, it was like thunders and there were delays, but it became this massive mudstorm. And instead of people like moping around and crying or going home, they played like absolute children in the mud, like started making these sli- mud slides and dancing around. Yeah, everyone just went crazy. Fuck, and like it's, it's, I love that. Like it can really go two ways. Like it can either get you down and mopey when it's like really shitty weather or you're like, fuck it, let's fucking embrace it and go ape shit. Yeah, we're here. Let's just enjoy the good times. And that's what it was all about. Like everyone thought they were going hard and then when that happened, it just went next level. And yeah. then in comes what? that We played Credence and Sly and then do you know who played? Then we we're going to play after that is um, Crosby, Stills and Nash who performed for the first time together at Woodstock. First time together as a band and they performed that at Woodstock. Yeah, it was their first and then time. The yeah, it was a trio. Yeah, yeah. Like, not a bad, uh, bad uh, morning. 
No. And then Joe Cocker comes on and plays uh, some nice music as well. Oh, uh, all, yeah, day three, like, it's just, yeah, the festival just kind of climbs and climbs and climbs. And it's such a three-day build into such a, yeah, such an amazing event. And I think sort of like, I feel like in the music industry of today, it's sort of forgotten about. And festival culture is such a massive thing these days, but it's like. Especially in Australia. Oh, yeah. Like this festival, Woodstock, should just be celebrated for like such a celebration of peace. And people should remember like what music festival is about. It's about going, having some like nice fun, taking care of each other and enjoying some music. Like not about like violence and. Excessive drug use and no, nah, not at all. So we're gonna play. Uh, we'll play Max. We'll play the Who. We'll play Crosby's. Then let's just talk about. And then we'll just have a whole debrief of Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> he deserves his own little part. All right, over to you, Max. I'm a farmer. I don't know how to speak to twenty people at one time, let alone a crowd like this. This is the largest group of people ever assembled in one place. But I think you people have proven something to the world that a half a million kids can get together and have three days of fun and music and have nothing but fun and music. And I That is something everybody everywhere is in the same
was Saturday night, Saturday morning. Let's act like. I think back then, I don't think the Who were a headliner for that festival, but still. No, like, Jeffrey Aeroplane was. Uh, yeah, Jefferson Aeroplane. Yeah. Jefferson Aeroplane, my bad. Still, like, having the Who play, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's just another name and for the lineup. That's- yeah, the whole lineup's ridiculous, but like Cosby Stills and Ness, Credence, Janis Joplin, the Who all in one night. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Anyways, and then uh, day three, most people left after that. Now it's uh, yeah, they're sort of like, oh, it's Monday. Let's go home. We're all probably pretty fucking. Well, so yeah, Sunday afternoon, they got work the next day. They're gonna get going. Please imagine that festival line to get out of. Oh, imagine what an idiot <laughs> you oh. were to leave. Yeah, getting home will be a shit show. But in the end of the day, like, I guess people didn't care. No one gave a fuck. Yeah, like you just. If you just hitchhike a ride, just jump on someone's van, like get a ride. Yeah, like so many hitchhikers are just like, oh, I guess I'll just hitchhike my way home. Imagine the people you meet from there. I wonder like how many people met each other and like began. Like like, just best friends forever. Yeah, like just shared the most ridiculous experiences. Got married. Had a kid. Who knows? Nah, but you know what I don't feel bad about? Those people who left and missed Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, Jimi (laughs) Jimi Hendrix was like the last act to play. What? Also, like, you choose someone to finish the the festival, like Jimi Hendrix, but Jimi Hendrix wasn't a household name back then. No, not at all. He was, like, probably a small name on the bill. Yeah, oh, he was still a decent name to be, like, closing out the festival. Yeah, but, I'm not sure. I'm not all that familiar with Jimmy's, um, like, how prolific he was back in the late 60s, but obviously he was... Um, this was before his rise to fame when no one really knew too much about him other than uh, he put a tab of acid in his headband. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just keep it there for later and then... Dissolved into his brain. All right. So at the start, we talked about a lot of war and how in the 1960s was a hard time to be in America for um, people. And so this brings us onto Jimi Hendrix and what he did. Yeah, he played uh, that probably the most famous song out of the whole of Woodstock, which is his um, rendition of uh, the American National Anthem. Star Spangled Banner. But what happened was... When you see the documentary, everyone's just looking at him with their mouths dropped because for three days all they've had is good times, fun and music and now they're kind of taken back to reality because his rendition of the national anthem wasn't the kind of one that you hear at uh, the start of a football game. No. It was one that was like a rendition and I've never heard a guitar make those sounds before. Like even listening to it. No, neither. And he's trying to, yeah, it was chaotic. It was well, he was kind of replicating a war zone. Yeah, like he was he trying to make the sounds of, you know, take people to Vietnam through these just like, you know, chaotic gu- guitar noises. Like you could hear rockets fa- falling down and burns and all these sirens going within his guitar and it's just like, it was just something else. It was like, all right, this is be- this is some serious shit we've been running away from and that we've been talking about, but now it's time to actually deal with it. Let's um, end the war in Vietnam. And I, I don't know, this was a, the start of a really strong movement that actually ended up happening, I guess. And it led to the end of the, the Vietnam War. Yeah. I don't know, I'm not saying Jimi Hendrix specifically. Yeah, but I was going to say, I was like, all right, whatever, get to go for no, it. No, but the, the, the 500,000 people who left that festival with that ring in their ears, that I think really held true and galvanized that movement. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, I think. It wasn't the thing, but it was just one of the things. No, like the whole festival itself was a part of that movement, and yeah, it was, it was a pretty amazing time. But I think uh, I think we'll close with Jimmy and his Star Spangled Banner for sure. And uh, 
That's our Woodstock uh, rendition. We'll be back next week. We'll be weekly now. We've uh, been traveling around. I've been away again. Um, Louis snapped his surfboard, so we've been very busy here. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> recovering from my bruised ego after that incident. Yeah, a bit salty, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Um, yeah, so next week, let's do, uh, I think we'll go into a UK indie music. Yeah, or well then play something totally different like we always do. Yeah, that's possible too. But there's no, probably the best ending to the show we've ever had will be this one. So sit back and uh, listen to the national anthem in a way you've never heard before. Bye. Bye. Bye.